Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, we know that those who meditate upon Your Word are those who are blessed. and They grow strong and healthy, balanced in Your graces, much like a tree planted by streams of living water, where its fruit is born in season and its leaves do not wither. We pray today that You would minister to us in that way, so that by grace we would grow up into Jesus more and more. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, and you'll find that on page 976 of the Pew Bible. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, it was said of the followers of Christ, of His disciples, that they were the people who were turning the world upside down. And in actuality, it's just the opposite. They are the ones turning the world right side up. And that's really what we have in the book of Ephesians, is Paul is outlining for us the gospel of grace and how it comes into a community of people and begins to make a whole new society. He has prayed for them that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they might know the hope to which they have been called. And that is our desire as well, that we would have our eyes, the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we would know with spiritual insight uh, what it is that Jesus is doing in our midst. And we have a picture of this here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes, And you were dead in the uh, trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A man by the name of David Kim is one of the top violinists in the world. Interestingly, he's from Columbia, South Carolina. And he came and gave a concert a number of years ago at First Presbyterian Church in which he told a little bit about his story as he was playing. And he spoke of how when he was just 11 years old, his parents would send him off to the Juilliard School of Music for a day of lessons. They would give him money, he would Go to the, uh, they would drive him to the airport in Columbia. He would fly up to New York City. He would find his own taxi cab, make his way over to the Juilliard School of Music, take lessons all day, then hail a cab and get back to the airport and fly back 
to Columbia, South Carolina. Now that might be what it takes to be one of the top violinists in the world. But what was interesting is that he said, I'm not planning on doing that with my own children. Not simply because of the matters of safety that are involved these days, but I think more importantly what he was saying is, personal individual success is not the goal and purpose for which we are here. Wonderful to be a great violinist, but not so wonderful to sacrifice everything else to pursue your own personal success. Something is more important. Paul gives us a hint at that here when he says that we've been created for something. Verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God, in making men and women and boys and girls, has declared that we would be priests in His kingdom. That is to say, ministers or servants who are there to serve on His behalf, taking care of His creation, blessing those around them, seeking to build a kingdom of righteousness and purity and peace. But because sin has entered into the world, everyone who is in sin is unable to reach the purpose for which God intended them in this life and certainly in the life to come. So God has set out to make things right, to reclaim what was rightfully His and what He is reclaiming that is rightfully His is first and foremost you and me who are His children. And what He wants to do is recreate us in the image of Christ so that as Peter says, He would redeem us from the empty way of life handed down by our fathers. Jesus gives us a greater exalted purpose in serving Him. It is what we are created for. And what He is doing now in the church is not simply making individuals who are created in Christ Jesus for good works, but making a whole society of people who are created in Christ Jesus for good works. To be those priests of God Most High who go out into the world and seek to minister on His behalf. Well, before we get to the good news here, Paul tells us the bad news. And the first point is this, that everyone born naturally of a woman is dead in sin. Dead in sin. That's what he begins with in verse verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Paul is picking up on the theme of death that God pronounced upon Adam in the garden. That as soon as you eat of the tree, you will surely die. It wasn't simply a physical death, but a spiritual death. And because of that, they recognized they were naked and they are now ashamed of themselves. They're ashamed of their own sin and they begin to blame one another. Why? Because spiritual death has taken hold of them. Paul himself is very clear in his own mind of his own experience of that spiritual death. When he sought to persecute the church in Jesus Christ, and it wasn't until he found himself blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus that he realized that he was spiritually dead. All along he thought... He was spiritually alive. 
In other words, he and everyone like him, born in sin, is like a dead man or a dead woman walking. The city of Ephesus, city of 200 to 300,000 people, a very cosmopolitan kind of city, a city that very, was very successful economically, successful culturally, a city that actually had the largest building in the world at that particular time. As we've said, the temple of Artemis that dwarfed the Parthenon. It was a city that seemed alive. It was busy. If you went into the marketplace, people were buying and selling and walking around and laughing and hugging one another and, and maybe even cursing one another. It, it seemed like an alive, busy place. But in reality, they were like zombies walking around. Dead men walking. Dead in sin. And because of that, they can't hear God's Word. They can't receive God's grace. And they can't see the glory of the Lord displayed in all the world. Now, What does that mean to be dead in sin? Two things. One, it means being enslaved. That's what he goes on to say here. Speaks of the way in which we walked. Verse 2, following in the course of this world, that is to say the lifestyle and the values of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What he's describing here really is the picture of Psalm 2 where the nations rage and they rage against God and they declare their independence. And in reality, they're actually enslaved. They're enslaved to Satan, the prince of the power of the air, Paul speaks of. That's the devil himself. All of humanity, born in sin, is actually enslaved to the devil. Enslaved to his demonic forces. Enslaved to his values and principles. Enslaved to his hatred for God. Enslaved to despising the kingdom of its purity and beauty and peace and righteousness and justice. And so everyone born in sin is enslaved. It's interesting that we're often surprised by the fact that many people seem to commit the same kind of sins over and over. We all do this, and some do it in the public eye. Sports figures and politicians most clearly. Actresses and actors. They seem to commit the same sins and grievances that people just committed two weeks earlier. Why is that? Because they're enslaved to it and they can do nothing else. It's interesting and sort of ironic that everybody in life wants to declare their independence and freedom. We want to set the course of our own lives. We want to be the captain of our own domain. We want to set the agenda for how we live. We want to seek to, to feel alive. We want to do things, whether it's a career that makes us feel alive or, or sports that make us feel alive. Maybe even extreme sports that make us feel really alive when we're jumping out of an airplane. But that's what we long for. Culture is seeking that. We want to be our own boss. But what Paul says here is that all that people can do who are dead in sin is actually be followers. Followers of the prince of the power of the air. And so they end up carrying out desires of their own sinful heart that are actually his desires 
verse 3 goes on to say, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Our minds, our hearts are captive to Satan when we're in sin. So that our bodies do everything that is sinful and corrupt. As a sinner, what you see then is that our whole purpose in life is actually given over to Satan. We're enslaved to him. Those who are dead in sin and outside of Christ can do nothing but serve the purposes of Satan in this life. He sets the course of our lives. We want to declare our independence. We want to declare that we're unique. That we're special. That we're going to live our own lives. And in reality, what Paul says is you're enslaved. Enslaved to the purposes of Satan. That's humanity outside of Christ. What a shocking reality I would think it must be. And certainly I think it was for me as I began to understand this as a new Christian. that My whole life is actually in bondage to somebody else. And His purposes for me are actually to destroy me and destroy everything that is good and beautiful in this world. And so Paul says if you're dead in sin, you're enslaved. But secondly, he says you're also condemned. Verse 3 again says that we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. Paul elsewhere in the book of Romans, the first three chapters, expounds for us the fact that everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, is under the wrath and curse of God. The wages of sin is death. And so because we're enslaved to the devil and because we pursue all the corrupt things that Satan and our own sinful hearts want to pursue, Paul says we're condemned. We end up being children of wrath. It's not enough, C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, to be a nice guy. It's not enough to be a nice guy. All that gets you is what Paul says here, condemnation from God poured out upon us. Because when we're enslaved to our own sinful desires and enslaved to Satan himself, we want nothing of the things of God. And because of that, because of rebellion against him, because humanity has spit in his face and said, we will not seek your blessings, we will not seek to serve you, we will go our own way and set our own course. God ends up handing us over to ourselves and ultimately leads to our own condemnation. It's a tragedy that when all is said and done in someone's life, if they're dead in the trespasses and in the sins in which they walked, if they're not alive in Jesus, and what they actually end up discovering that everything that they have lived for is all for nothing. It only earns condemnation. All of our righteous acts are but filthy rags, Isaiah declares to us. You remember, remember the old song, Cats in the Cradle? It's a song about a father who is so busy with his career and with his life 
And his son keeps saying that he wants to spend time with his father. And his father keeps saying, another time, son, another time. Until his father's finally finished with his career and wants to spend time with his son. And his son says, not now. Another time. Another time. Friends, for those who are dead in sin and are enslaved to the purposes of Satan and live under the condemnation of God, ultimately what we discover at the end of life is that it's all been for nothing. There's no value in it. Nothing that lasts into eternity. And ultimately all that we've earned is condemnation for ourselves. People seek meaning. Everyone in life, everybody is walking the streets of the world today is a seeker of purpose, a seeker of meaning, wanting their life to count for something. They want to do something, but they want to do it apart from God. And how sad that the tragedy of their life is that the devil has brought so much deception upon them that they think, all these things that I'm pursuing today, the career that I'm pursuing, investing so much into, the time that I spent doing all the recreation activities that I can do, Everything that I seek, the devil has tricked us into thinking there is meaning and purpose that will last forever in those things. And in reality, it all leads to nothing. Culture seeks value, seeks meaning, seeks purpose in pills and books, seeks meaning and purpose in achievement and in beauty and all the things that the world can give. But you can't get real life outside of the one who actually possesses life. And that is the Lord Jesus. And so to be dead in sin is to be like a dead man walking. You may have seen the movie Pirates of the Caribbean. At least the first installment of the series where some of these pirates are basically zombies and they're they're in a sense dead, but they're walking about and doing things and they can't die, but they hate their life because they, they drink and they eat and they try to enjoy things, but they can't taste the food or the drink and there's no pleasure in it all. And to be dead in sin is to be desensitized to all the blessings and the privileges of living in God's world and enjoying being His children and so Paul says to be outside of Christ is to be dead in sin. But secondly, he says that to be in Christ is to be alive in Christ. It's what he declares to us here in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Paul has these contrasts here between being dead and being alive. God and us. And what he's saying here is that God Himself is the only one who can bring real spiritual life. Life that will last forever and ever. And this is what He has done. For everyone who has come to Jesus in faith, He has made us spiritually alive in Christ. So that now we live for Him. God is in the business of raising the dead and typically we think about that in terms of the physical resurrection that's going to take place in the future. But you see, there must be a spiritual resurrection that takes place first in our own souls. 
so that we would reach out in faith and grab hold of Christ and trust in His mercies and begin to live for Him. And so what God says here is, I will make you spiritually alive. And He declares what He does for those who are spiritually alive. Verse 6, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, what God has done for Jesus, His own Son, He has already done for us. He has raised us up. And He has raised us and seated us with Him in glory already. So that our hope for the future is secure. Because it already resides in glory where God resides. When we come to Christ and we're made alive, then all of a sudden all the things of God come alive. I talked to somebody not long ago who told me that very fact. Said that, you know, things seem different now. The Bible seems different. Sitting in church seems different. Praying seems different. The whole course of my life seems different. Things seem to have color to them now. I said, my friend, there's nothing to be afraid of. You've simply been made alive in Jesus. Now things taste sweeter. They smell sweeter. There's a greater delight in knowing God and in serving Him. We want to come to His Word and know all that it says about Jesus. No more boring religious activity, but a life of love and service to our Heavenly Father. See, if anyone's ever to reach the purpose for which God has made us, then we must be first made alive in Jesus. And He does this by His grace. He says over and over, verse 5, by grace you have been saved. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. Paul wants the Ephesians and the church of Jesus Christ to know that it is all of grace that we are made alive in Jesus. It's not because I've done something to be made alive. No one births themselves. Only a parent can make you alive. And only God can make you alive. So Paul says our praise goes to Him. Why has God done this? Why would He do all this? Well, He declares to us it's because of His mercy. The riches of His mercy in verse 4. Of His love towards us in Christ. Of His grace to us. But also, interestingly, in verse 7, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us. What Paul is saying here is that one day in glory, when all of God's people are gathered together, and we're given new bodies, and we're remade into His image perfectly and clearly, He wants to shower even more of His kindness upon us. And that we will see even more clearly the purpose for which we have been made. And delight in it. Rejoice in it. And give thanks. And so what's our response to be to this? To being made alive in Christ? He says two things. One, faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. By grace you have been saved through faith. Paul does not simply say that people are born this way. It's what he's told us in back in verse 3. 
that we walked among these kinds of people. Like the rest of mankind, we were the ones who were dead in sin. And we do nothing to contribute. And so it's only by faith that we receive the gospel and receive Jesus. We own nothing of our salvation. How sad it is to hear people talk about straightening up their lives for God, getting things right with God by living a new life, making a new resolve. I'm going to live better. When all the while he says, come to me by faith and I'll give you rest. Jesus wants to come to him in faith. Friends, we need to hear that word because we're the kind of people who fail and get angry at our children, who look at things on the internet we ought not to look at, who do not give our bosses a full day's labor, who don't tell the truth to our parents when they ask us a straight question about what we've done, and who have failed to keep our tongue from pronouncing judgments upon others. We need to hear it's by grace through faith alone in Christ that we are saved. So that we have the confidence that as Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so faith is a response, but also humility. Verse 9 declares to us, it's not a result of works so that no one can boast. I have nothing to boast of. It's not only that I don't add anything to my salvation, I can't add anything to my salvation, and therefore I have no reason to boast. If you feel as though you've contributed even one thing to your salvation, then what that leads to is a disposition that says, I have some right to declare what my purpose and what my meaning in this world is. I've contributed to my salvation. I have in some sense have eterned, uh, contributed to my eternal life. And therefore I can determine for myself, at least in part, what the agenda for my life will be. But you see, it's only when we come to Jesus in complete faith and humility that we look upon Him and we say, You determine the purpose for my life. Because everything else that I've tried has led to disaster. Everything else that I have sought to accomplish has been a tragedy. And ultimately will lead to my own condemnation. When we come humbly before Him, we declare, Lord, You declare the purpose for my life. It's interesting that I think the two greatest attributes that Jesus praised most often were faith and humility. Faith and humility. And the two things that he chastised the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees the most for was unbelief and pride. But coming to him in faith and in humility, then all of a sudden we de declare, Jesus, you have the right to determine the purpose for which I live. One other thing, point of application, I think that's important out of that. It's important to know the gospel clearly and to know it well. But it's also important not only to know better the gospel, but also know better how to minister the gospel. 
And as we think about being priests and serving God and His purposes in the world, the thing that makes us least attractive to the world is pride, is haughtiness, as a sense of being greater than thou, but the thing that makes us the most attractive to the world is faith and humility. So that when we go out into the world, we, we show forth the praises of Jesus because we divert all attention to Him. And we declare to people who are dead in sin, these are the glories of Christ. And beyond that, one of the things that we ought to be doing each and every day is praying for those around us. Because if they're dead in sin like we were once dead in sin, if the people walking up and down the streets on Main Street in Hendersonville are dead in sin, then we ought to pray and plead for the mercies of God that He would make them spiritually alive. So they won't get to the end of their life and realize that it was all for nothing. And so Paul declares to us that those outside of Christ are dead in sin, but to be in Christ is to be made alive. And then finally, to be alive in Christ means we're God's workmanship. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I told the children earlier that one of the things that God refers to us as is His masterpiece. And that's exactly what workmanship means. It means artwork. His masterpiece. We are created in Christ Jesus. Made alive in Christ Jesus. So that you and I would be the masterpiece of the One in Heaven. The great artist who writes His grace upon our lives and declares to the world what we are like. John Stott tells the story of Reverend Paul Gibson, who was the principal of Ridley Hall at Cambridge University. And when Reverend Gibson retired, they had a portrait commissioned of him. When that picture was hung up on the wall, Reverend Gibson looked at it and said, I hope that in the years to come, people will look at that portrait and say not, who is that man? But who is the artist who painted that picture? And friends, that's what God is doing so that people would look at you and say, what's different about you? What is this that's taking place in you? Where's this humility come from? Where does this love come from? Where does this gracious spirit come? Because you see, we're now those who although we once walked in the course of this world, are now walking in the commandments of Jesus, seeking to live out all that He's done for us. The Ephesian Christians, at least some of them, when they came to faith in Christ, were told in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 19, that there was a massive book burning. And these books were books of their magical arts, their occult material, you might say of how they participated in the occult of Diana. And they burned them all. And we're told that it was worth 50,000 silver pieces, which in our day would be the equivalent of roughly $10 million. Friends, that's wholesale commitment to Christ, isn't it? 
I want the purpose of my life to be all for the glory of Jesus. And I want Him to rid me of everything, no matter what it costs me. All the workmanship that I have established. All the things that I have created. So that I could now be an artwork, a masterpiece for His glory. The purpose of our lives is to know God and to be the masterpiece of His grace. It doesn't matter if you're selling paper. It doesn't matter if you're a minister of the Gospel. Whatever you do, God says when you do it for My glory as I'm working My grace in you, you declare to the world what I'm like. You can become the greatest violinist in all the world. You can become the greatest preacher or whatever you want to be in all the world. But nothing of it matters outside of Jesus. And when we're made alive in Him, He gives us a whole new purpose for living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that Jesus has redeemed us from the empty way of life that's been handed down to us by others throughout human history. We thank You that You've made us alive in Him and we have new life and things smell and taste sweeter. And You've given us a new purpose of laboring in His kingdom. So that no matter what we do in our particular callings in life, You weave them into Your purposes and declare the praises of Your glorious grace. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.